0: Hey. hey Hey Paperboy 2020 Everybody get money Paperboy 2020 Everybody get money Paperboy 2020 Everybody get money Everybody get money everybody get money, everybody get money. Everybody get money. Paperboy 2020. Everybody get money. Paperboy 2020. Everybody get money. Paperboy
1: 2020. 2020. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. You know, we get excited about a lot of our episodes and a lot of our guests, but sometimes you have a living legend on the show, a local folk hero from Bushwick, New York, just an incredible person. Paperboy the Prince. Welcome to the show
0: have paper yeah have paper yeah it's our time yo thank you so much for having me i feel blessed and honored to be here and the first thing i want to say one i believe in all of you so much and i'm so thankful for you and to all of your listeners i'm so glad that we have this experience together right now and it is not a mistake that you're listening to this and something magical is going to happen into your life and i know that And i'm so excited for you and for that to happen
1: yeah. Dang, that's better than how we would intro the show normally.
0: Oh, <laughs> we can start,
2: start getting some clues from you on how to intro the show, man. I'm, I'm speed up already, man.
1: <laughs> Paperboy, could you just let the people out there listening who don't know who you are yet, who you are, how you came to be running for Congress in New York, and just kind of, you know, just a general intro?
0: Oh, great. So, yeah, my name's Paperboy, Prince of the Suburbs. Um, that's the full name Paperboy Prince of the suburbs but at Paperboy the Prince on Instagram so a lot of people call me Paperboy the Prince my website is paperboyprints.com as far as about me I'm an artist I'm an innovator I'm a creative I'm um, you know a rapper as well a dancer a digital creator so I do a bunch of things wear a bunch of hats now I am a political candidate as well so I do all of these things it's kind of like I'm one of those people that does so much it's kind of hard to figure out where to start and jump in but um, kind of something of the bigger things are like i said i do music so um uh, i was signed to uh, an am signed to azalea banks we have some music together toured with her i've done some of my own independent tours have a bunch of albums and like i said the music videos then outside of the music i do a, a bunch of crazy videos online um just pranks and things of that nature now i'm uh working on a new tv show with adult swim that we've been shooting the end of 2019 and, and some here in 2020 and i also Politics-wise, you know, I was a part of this whole crazy thing called He Will Not Divide Us, which was in Astoria, Queens with Shia LaBeouf and Jaden Smith, who kind of helped to pioneer that and kick that off. It was this crazy two-week non-stop live stream that I was kind of one of the main characters on, which was a whole moment. A lot of crazy stuff happened with that. It happened the day after the Trump inauguration is the first day it started. So that was kind of my foray into internet politics or protest art is what I like to call it. So yeah, and then that leads us to here today where I've been working with the presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, because I'm a supporter of universal basic income, a guaranteed income in the form of $1,000 a month, which is something that you know Martin Luther King was a big champion of guaranteed income. And so I started doing Work with Andrew Yang as far as making music and videos about his campaign. So I did about eight of those. And there's a whole album, the whole, there's, you know, eight videos as well. He tweeted them out. He's brought me out at some of his events to perform and uh, rally up the crowd. So that's been a roller coaster. I've been able to work with the presidential candidate. And then now I've launched my own congressional campaign in the 7th District of New York, which includes uh, the Bushwick area, Gowanus Park, Williamsburg parts of ridgewood queens and the lower east side so and it's fun but yeah you know that's kind of a bit about me in a nutshell and bringing you up to speed today where we are running for congress and fighting for a universal basic income and also just changing the energy that's in politics right now and just giving it more love more compassion more positivity and more just like youthful energy so yeah Do you have any
2: beef with uh, the sitting congressman? I think Ms. Velasquez is your representative. Is it a UBI thing or are there other things during her term that you were like, okay, we've got to run somebody against her?
0: You know what? It's interesting. I was just saying this last night that I'm not running against anyone. I'm running for the people. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I get that there is a sitting person there, but the people deserve an option. They deserve choice. Right now, you know, Velasquez has been unopposed for almost a decade as far as unopposed in the primary. So what they do is they they don't say that she's unopposed because there's been a challenger, a Republican challenger, but our district is so heavily Democratic that it doesn't matter who you put up as the Democrat, the Democrat is going to win against the Republican. So the real election is actually the primary. And in the primary, her last challenger was in 2011, 2012 So So yeah, giving people choice You know, like being in there for 26 years, I mean, that's longer than I mean, literally Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stepped down that 26 years. That's that's longer than queens and princesses and all these people are in are in power. You know what I mean? No, that is a long time. That's a long time. And that that presents a whole new group of challenges of the people, even, you know, the representatives being beholden to the people because they've been in there so long. So I just got really passionate about that and realizing that like, whoa, why aren't no new cool laws being made? Why aren't people pushing it? Why aren't they getting us more involved? You know, why are they putting us to sleep? Because the real voter disenfranchisement is them putting us to sleep and having the most boring, non-interesting people in there. So you never, ever, ever care about what they're doing. That's why once you have Trump in there, he's so charismatic and interesting that people are watching Trump's every move because it's actually an interesting person that demands attention. Even if he doesn't want you to see what he's doing, there's going to be attention. Or he's on Twitter letting you know what he's doing so you at least get to see the corruption in the open. Well, right now we have people that are so boring and they hide everything they do. They're not making anything that draws attention to themselves so they can do all of their The good works and bad things in silence, and it puts the people to sleep. You know, the voter turnout in my district is 6%. Wow. Six percent in the primary election. When I when I first started this, wow. I thought, oh, it's, I knew it was low. I thought, oh, maybe it's like twenty percent. You know, maybe it's like thirty percent or something, which is like low. But hey, it's voting. It's boring. When I found that it was six percent, I'm like, that's sh- that's criminal. There should be like a like a whole forum or like a task force on how to get it at least above ten percent. There's okay. like no, and that's of registered Democrats. That's six percent. So that's that's not including the people who are like eligible to vote. They're just not registered. They're not. That's just of the actual registered people. You know what I mean? Yeah. What are some of the issues
2: in Bushwick and in your district as a whole that you think need that attention? That need that
0: national spotlight? The number one thing I'm fighting for, like I said, is the basic income of a thousand dollars a month. But the number one issue that needs the spotlight, I feel like, as it relates to the district, is housing and figuring out a way to make pathways to housing for all you know the rent is so expensive i mean you literally have to be a drug dealer or like a your mafia boss in a lot of cases to afford <laughs> rent
2: how much is it for like a two-bedroom over there because i'm from Georgia. House, houses are very cheap kennedy's from new mexico it's kind of cheap over there lay it like out in the boonies in
0: texas so shock us and let us know how much it costs to live up there i mean put it like this like most people are renting by the bedroom for one so it's like you know the average person to be able to even get a two-bedroom in the area that I'm in which is like it's not like palm trees and like it's like rats running around you know it's not it's not like a bad area it's like a fun Mm -hmm. like urban area you know what I mean it's cool it's New York it's like graffiti and you know it's culture and all that but there is lots of you know dirt and it's it's grimy in a fun in a fun way. It's grimy. Is the point that I'm making.
1: Yeah, um, but it's definitely and, it's the city. It's nothing like this. Isn't a resort that
0: exactly people in. exactly exactly. It's not a resort. Yeah, you're you're gonna be paying for like a two bedroom. I'd say it'd be like I don't know in this area, maybe like five grand a month. A month? Oh. No. Yeah.
3: Oh, no. Damn. No.
0: Yeah. No. Like a two bedroom. You really do have to deal with drugs. Okay. Jesus. Wow.
3: Rent, rent control. Rent control.
0: Why is it that high? Well, one, it's location. You know, this is the reasons they give. They'll say the location and all of that. But there's a lot of places that they're building now that are new high rises that are going unfilled, that people aren't living there. You know, I mean, they have these things. Oh, my goodness. It's hilarious. It's actually not funny. It's sad. But I say it's hilarious.
1: Sometimes you have to laugh.
0: Right. You, have you to laugh know, to survive it. They have an affordable unit, like an affordable unit. They'll have like, you know, set asides for affordable housing in these new housing units they build. And to qualify for the affordable housing, you have to make anywhere from like seventy five to like 95000 a year to qualify for affordable housing. Damn. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And I'm like a part of the artist community of a bunch of people who are like cool people, young people, artists who kind of like made this a place where people want to live. And, you know, they don't have the money to do that. That's just not a reality for the average person. And if it is, basically their whole paycheck is going to rent. Sounds like a gentrification issue. Yeah. It's like a gentrification issue. It's also a real estate issue. So you mentioned what are some of the issues that I have with my sitting congressman and just a lot of the politicians in general in the area. They've taken so much money from the real estate companies. So, you know, they have on their FEC website, um, it shows you like what people are getting their donors from. And my congressperson has taken tens of thousands of dollars, you know, just over the last few years from the real estate industry um, and from big real estate developers. So again, it's easier for them to turn a blind eye because the average person don't even have money for the rent, let alone to donate to their congressperson to fight for their what they need. You know what I mean? It's
1: a self-perpetuating cycle at that point.
0: Exactly. And all this is going on. And then my congressperson pretends to be a champion of like of housing, of low income housing. And the crazy thing about it is if you just say low income housing and like do a couple like press things in the like a poor neighborhood, it's like, oh, yeah, she's like a champion of low income housing. But I'm like, wait, but what about the hundred thousand dollars she took from the real estate companies and the fact that gentrification has gotten worse under her watch since ever been in history? If you just say it, then it's like, oh, you're for it. But you didn't do any actions, you know.
3: So uh, once you're in Congress, how are you going to go beyond just paying lip service to affordable housing? And how are you actually going to get it done?
0: Exactly. So that's one of the reasons that a lot of this stuff isn't able to get done is because it lacks community engagement. And what I was saying about, you know, the voter turnout being so low in the primary elections And then the general elections as well, but specifically the primary elections, people don't know what's going on. So my ideas are to work to get the community more involved and to have more of a voice, because once they have that voice, then it's harder for them to ignore it. Because, for example, right, in my election, uh, so like basically the last congressional primary that they had in this district, it was about 20,000 people that voted out of a million. Right. Jesus. Um, so the thought is that when you're only beholden to 20,000 people to get it done, because, you know, that only these people are going to be the ones that like are actually voting. There's less of a fire under your butt to get it done. You know, what I mean? you're more concerned with just mm-hmm. staying in office. Instead of really rocking the boat to get things done. That's why people aren't taking these large risks because they just want to stay in office and get reelected and not rock the boat. So for me to get it done, my thing is like raising that 6% voter turnout to 16%, 20%, 30%, 50%, getting it as high as possible to get as many people as possible excited about this. Because again, to help the people, it really has to be the people that are involved You know what I mean? So, so long it's been people saying this is what's best for the community and they're doing things to the community instead of doing things with the community. You know, so for me, it's like really bringing a community with me and figuring out ways to do that. Now, as far as like the specifics of what ideas that I, I would like propose as far as like, you know, housing for all, there's a lot of things for that. But again, it takes coming together as the community to make those things happen.
1: One of the things you mentioned on your website is establishing gentrification-free cultural zones. Can you explain exactly what you mean by that?
0: Yeah. So that's one of our policies that we're uh, researching and building out, but kind of the gist and nature of it or the idea, uh, the working idea for it is, you know, mm-hmm. the same way that there are historic sites, right? You know how something's like a historic landmark. So making certain areas that have cultural significance, for example, hip hop was invented in the South Bronx, or that's the general consensus. There's some people that disagree, but they say hip hop was invented in South Bronx. We can all agree hip hop has been like a major thing over the last 34 years, like all over the world. Someone can say, hey, you know, to protect this area, this site as a, a cultural landmark or as a historic site and to basically monitor the development so that it doesn't displace the current makeup of a certain area.
3: I do think that there have been municipalities that have declared sections of cities historic districts and made it harder to put new development there for keeping the old architecture, the old sort of makeup. So you're kind of saying that you would want to federalize that policy and expand it into more of a broad historical district thing toward against
0: gentrification. I think that like working towards something like that, because I I don't want to make it so that like you can't develop new buildings there and that, you know, new architecture can't unfold and there can't be new businesses there. Like that's not the intention, but I definitely want to make it so that, hey, if there are new businesses there, that they can be businesses that are of the community. That are of the people, instead of it being like, oh, now it's an Apple store here, now it's a Whole Foods here. You know, a better example is this. I make clothes, or I've been working with a lot of designers to make clothes, and I go to this like sewing shop near my house. And now the showing shop closes early. It's only open like three or four days a week. And I ask him and I ask why. He's like, Man, I've been on the Broadway for twenty years. And my landlord just came to me last year and tried to raise my rent by like two or three grand like I couldn't do it I was barely scraping by then so we came and we got this much smaller place you know now he's in a smaller place and he's like it's it's still hard keeping the doors open and all that and the the place where he was now it's a Chipotle there it's a uh, Starbucks there you know what I mean before there were all these local right. businesses and it's like it's good There's, the area
3: I think it's called the, the circulation of money that previously in historically minority districts there was a lot of kind of local businesses and the money would circulate within the community, and it would reinvest in it. But now that uh, international and multinational businesses are coming in and setting up shop there, the money is coming out of the community, but it's not coming back in.
1: Right. And like you say, they're literally piggybacking off the success of mom and pop, like small businesses.
3: Mm hmm.
0: Exactly. So we have to be proactive in finding out ways to protect them because a lot of businesses start as small businesses and a lot of small businesses are what helps to keep the community strong and close and all that. So. So, yeah, that's kind of what that idea was about as a way to curtail gentrification. It's just it's just trying things out, you know, trying ideas, because a lot of what I'm seeing is we get 100 reasons why we can't do something, but we don't actually try something. And we can say, hey, let's try it. If we try this for a decade, two decades, this doesn't work or doesn't have the intended effect, then, okay, we can stop this. But who knows? Maybe it's something where we if you actually care and want to help the community, then it's something we can do. You have definitely, you know, as an artist, been somebody that's
2: very interested in preserving the character of communities. Can you talk a little bit about your policy on
0: community centers? Because I feel like that's kind of in the same vein. Yeah, I'm super excited. So like what I wanted to make the number one policy for my campaign was spreading love and coming together and community building. But that's hard to translate a lot of times to people. Um, But
1: that's not just like a three word slogan.
0: <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like hard to translate. It's like, what does that mean? And what that means was what you said about community centers. That's a real opportunity we have to like bring people together. I mean, right now, we're more isolated than ever. You know, we spend six to eight hours on our phone a day, if not more. So much time on the computer, a lot of times watching TV. We are not together. We're not outside. We're not in the parks as much anymore. I mean, in New York, where I live, there's so many people and we constantly walk past each other. We ride the train next to each other and we don't get to know each other. So finding out ways to bring us together, whether it's a community center. And a lot of this is for the kids, for the youth, you know, who have the, the spare time and just this energy community centers that are open as much as possible so like 24/7 if possible because what i've recognized is there's a lot of people who have situations at home where their home is not a home where they want to go back to, they might have a roof, but they might be like an abusive person in situation, or just a negative situation, or they don't have space, or bad influences. Wh- whatever the case may be. So, an uh, area where you can go and you can be learning job training around the clock. You can be playing video games around the clock. You can be doing sports um around the clock. You know, you can just be talking to people and. And just enjoying each other's company and like having people who are community leaders there who specialize in community building and, you know, gardening and all these things, bringing us together. And I think this will do a, go a long way to solve a lot of crime, solve a lot of domestic violence issues, because a lot of these things happen because people don't have places to go. They don't have role models. They don't feel like they're a part of their community. And then, you know, people ask the question of how are you going to pay for these things? And again, we're America, we have a lot of money. But what I will say is, We have some of the greatest private businesses in the world. I mean, now, granted, I'm not the biggest fan of the corporations, but. They're here, and what we can do is find a way to have public and private partnerships. Where if there's a Starbucks in every community, there's a McDonald's in every community. Finding a way that where we can have more community centers, or have some of these services that are provided at our main community centers at some private businesses that are in the community that everybody knows. That okay, I need to get some therapy or some job training. I can go to McDonald's, and you know they have like a government worker there that that has a whole office set up that you can do some of that stuff and it's not us building a whole new building for it. We're partnering with McDonald's. They're, they might be getting a small tax break or something like that, you know, to get these things to happen. And we're meeting people where they are. You know, I basically, and I got that idea. I saw that there were some countries overseas that brought their passport services to McDonald's because, you know, they were already in the community. It's a big place. It's already there. It saves money. So using McDonald's as an example, but finding ways to do stuff like that. So these are just some of the ideas we have, again, that are just like, hey, let's try big ideas. Let's help people because I see people hurting every day. And we're doing all these things to circumvent getting to the people when it's like, wait, we know where people are. Let's just go to those places. Let me ask you this. Do
2: you think that the U S postal service would work for that? Because like McDonald's is already owned by McDonald's, but the people like already own the postal service. So would that fit like as a potential
0: suitable building for that kind of community building? you know possibly i know that the, ah. mail, the the mail is such a sensitive thing as far as with like the anthrax and as far as with like you know people going in mail and all that stuff and that's true so that there would have to be that figured out but um yeah i mean exactly that's a perfect idea though like keeping our options open whether it be a postal service areas where these things are already going on whether it be a school whether it be like a building or whether it's in a you know just an open area
3: I mean there's already proposals to institute postal banking where post offices have banking services and it's been successfully applied in other European nations so you know if you have banking services at post offices it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to wrap into a general sort of community center area
2: just the amount of floor space cuz you know you yeah, can do yeah. stuff but postal service might be a little bit harder Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Well, and
1: when you do this kind of stuff you're eliminating some of what we always talk about like the poverty tax on people's time you know one of the things that can really drag people down when they're struggling is if they're trying to get like government services or something and they got to go to five offices mm-hmm. in different parts of the city or the state even right you know that kind of stuff that if it's a two-hour drive it could take literally a couple of days for a poor person to make this commute because they might be taking slow buses or other kinds of public or relatively cheap transportation. And yeah, if you can lump some of this stuff together, then you're giving people the opportunity to like get the things done that they need to in a more rapid fashion. That gives them time to live their life.
0: Exactly. So I'm so glad that you ended it on that because that's literally what this campaign is about. And when I talked about spreading love and building community, this should be, I mean, literally in the preamble to the constitution, it says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But right now it feels like it's work, work, and like, oh yeah, like you maybe can retire at 65. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's not like about, like you don't see people coming to the table like, all right, so how can we give people the best life possible? It's like, no, how we figure out more jobs how can we figure out and the idea is that all these things are gonna like help lead to that but we're not actually putting our heads together of like no how can we give people the best life like instead of saying more jobs more jobs more jobs why not more time with your family, more time with your dog, more time with your friends, hanging out? You know what I mean. Like that's what we should be working to. Now, and I like to work. A lot of people like their jobs. He's saying if you like your job and you want to work all the time, that's great. That's awesome. You should be able to do that. You should still have the freedom to be able to do that. But if you want to spend time with your family, you should not be locked in to never have time to really spend with your family. That is slavery. That's why unions work to get us a eight hour work day and a you know five day work week with the weekend is because we see, hey, we're working too much and we're not having enough time for that life, that liberty, that pursuit of happiness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Something that I've adopted into my own speech is just I've I've tried to stop asking people like, what do you do for a living or like questions like that? Because I feel like they're so common, but they don't really get to the core of who people are and just ask something like, you know, what do you like to do with your time? Right,
0: right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, everything you just said. But let's move on to a slightly different subject. You mentioned, like, we kind of touched a little bit on technology in some of your last answer. And technology is a big part of your platform. So we kind of live in this interesting time where for a lot of people, the internet is a place to get information, and it's helped people to become more informed. And it can also be a place to find like validation if you're sort of socially isolated for different reasons. But This comes with a downside of, like, people's mental health, which you kind of, like I say, you mentioned a little bit already. Could you get into what you think can be done to, like, help people's mental health when it comes to technology without just, like, jumping off the internet because maybe we still need it?
0: Yeah, it's definitely becoming an issue as far as the mental health issues. I mean, so your question is, what do you think that we can do about it, basically?
1: Yeah. And like, what's the balance between like the fact that the internet is helpful in terms of like people getting information and stuff, but also there's all these downsides?
0: Yeah. You know, I think a big thing is literacy. I think, and this goes back to the community centers, I think having media literacy training for the children, because for a lot of adults, it's like kind of they're like are where they are, but we need really unbiased uh, media literacy training that allows people to see, to know that when they see this Kylie Jenner picture, to know how much editing it has gone into it and how much of a team that this person has, or when they see, you know, certain images and rap videos or something like that, they understand the context behind it and that that this is entertainment and that that this isn't the real life that they're living. Um, because for a lot of kids, it's hard to discern what is real from what's fake online. And then that's the same thing with a lot of adults now because they're just being thrust in this whole internet world too. And it's kind of like the millennials in between who kind of have the best grasp on it because we weren't born with it, but they kind of, like, were there through it and, like, helped to invent it, shape the culture, so kind of get it. So part of me I thinks that just time will help people to adjust, but I definitely think being proactive and having unbiased media literacy classes. So we, we need things that, that, you know, show these things um, so we don't have the same type of tropes and stereotypes carried over from television and movies and music from the last few decades carried over again now.
3: Like capitalism has held the mainstream conceptions of the internet for so long that, yeah, it is hard to imagine something better from it.
0: Yeah.
2: You've been a web developer for like quite a while. Can you talk about your history as a web developer and how did that
0: influence your ideas on policy? Yeah. So basically, you know, I first started out doing video editing as well as um, music engineering. And so being comfortable with software was kind of like the first step. It was like, oh, I know how to learn software pretty fast. So then I'm like, oh, I can learn, you know, programming languages. So taking that step, my manager, Tyrone, kind of was the one who kind of was like ushered me into saying, hey, like make websites, buy domain names, repeat, repeat, repeat. And so got into it basically from that. And then, um, you know, worked with my my mom, started really getting into tech and, um, you know, is already a business owner and an entrepreneur. What's she do? Uh, she's a lawyer, oh. uh, as well as works in uh, healthcare staffing. So it's like a healthcare staffing company and um, some other business ventures. So yeah, my my parents are awesome. They also are pastors together. So oh, I'm- that's true. Cool. Mom and dad are pastors. So that, that influences some of my speeches. <laughs> <laughs> and also, as I was building these platforms, I was also learning about cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and, you know, just kind of, oh, wow, there's even a world of more security, of more speed coming to the internet. And there can even be a new internet that is coming. So just kind of preparing for that and, you know, not kind of becoming prisoner of the time, of the technology of the time and kind of really thinking, okay, what can these platforms be in the in the future or what are people working on now and where it can go? And then how that can influence our everyday life. So knowing that I'm like, oh man, tech is so powerful. And, you know, even on our social media, people are participating in polls, Albeit they're not secure, but they're still doing polls for, you know, little fun stuff. And so it's like, we can have a more accurate representation of what our constituency wants right now if we implement technology into the decision-making process for the legislators. Because right now, you vote for your congressperson, for example, or your city councilman or whatever, once every two years or four years, and then they make thousands of decisions a week hundreds of decisions a day that you don't have any choice on you just get to vote for them once and then hopefully you know your what you say aligns aligns with the, what they're doing you can call up their office you can send them an email maybe they'll reply maybe they won't but you know they can't have an accurate representation of how the district is feeling and definitely not after being there for 26 years you know what i mean you're not right. on the ground with the people so so having something like using technology to say, hey, we're thinking of doing this new zoning project, or we're thinking of implementing this new tax cut and polling the people and doing it in a way that's super accessible so that they can access it on their phones and they can put in their zip code or something like that in the last four digits of their social. And it's some secure thing that says, okay, you live here and you're da da Then we can have an accurate thing. Of, and then the congressperson can say, oh, okay, wow, 70% of the the district approves of this and you know I'm gonna use that to influence my decision. Now, obviously, the congressperson still can do what they want to do. They're the representative. But at least they could get some more input from the community and just instead of making all these decisions cold all the time. And the community can feel like they have more input and stay abreast to what's going on. So that's one thing that I'm interested in using technology to implement. You know what I mean? So it's like bringing more creative people and more people who are familiar with doing things in user interface to these projects. So it's 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 more forward, it's more accessible, and it's more futuristic. You know, we can't have people that grew up using a typewriter making the laws on the cell phones of the future, of the computers of the future, of the purchase kiosks of the future. That doesn't make sense. I'm like, I'm like, I've met <laughs> right, huh? person. I'm like, you don't know how to use an iPhone. Like, you know what I mean? Like why are you why are you legislating on like
2: digital security?
0: Yeah, it's like it's like what? And this this is will take the conversation a whole other place, but I I'm going to say it while it's on my mind. Someone like Edward Snowden who is, you know, I feel like I joke and say Edward Snowden is like the white martin Luther King. Um because <laughs> now granted, he's still alive. So, but he is hated. I mean, if you talk to like You know, a lot of military people or, you know, federal agency people, they like hate Snowden and like they don't see what he did as honorable. But to me, I'm like, wait, who's gonna check these agencies if it's not? the people that are doing these things and the, and then the the government officials, they either pretend like they don't know what's going on or they legitimately just don't know about the capabilities of some of these technologies. You know? So for me, I'm like, we have to have people that are really on the side of the people for one and really understand what these technologies can do because at this point, you know, they've kind of have taken away, you know, but you look up and you don't have any more rights left, you know?
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, um, And you you mentioned previously that you were kind of into cryptocurrency and it's something that's really misunderstood generally. So what's a big misconception about cryptocurrency? Because there's a lot of weird rumors and and
0: misinformation
3: about the technology.
0: Um, I think a big misconception is that it's like a get rich quick scam because I think like a lot of what made headlines about it is that the Bitcoin was you know growing so much in value and that I think it like shot up a couple years ago shot up to like eighteen thousand or twenty thousand per Bitcoin and then that mm-hmm. ha- had people like you know trading cryptocurrencies and like seeing it as just as kind of like a, a, a new, commodity. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like a
1: futures market
0: almost or something. Yeah, exactly. Instead of it being like, okay, this is uh, budding technology and looking at it as like a possible new dot com type of boom. So I think that's one of the bigger misconceptions about it.
1: All right, Paperboy, you mentioned on your platform making taxes fun. How can we possibly make taxes fun? That doesn't sound like a thing that can be done.
0: <laughs> so, so, you know what? Like, <laughs> first off, let me say this. <laughs> Paper, yeah. <laughs> I had to do that. But, um, you know, I work really hard at making stuff fun because I've realized how far that can go. I've realized how much people remember that. i realize how much of an impact that can have. All of my speeches I've done so far, my appearances as a candidate, I've put fun at the forefront because they'll be like, oh, make sure you remember to say this, make sure you remember to shake this hand, make sure you do that. I'm like, wait, I gotta make sure I have fun. And I gotta make sure that the people have fun because if they're not, what are we doing? And some of the issues are really boring and sad issues, but we still have to find a way to make it fun because that's just going to do so much more. It's going to get so much... Awareness is so big, you know? I-, I-, I know I'm I'm veering off from taxes a little bit, but I- I'm coming back to that. I just have to say this. It's like finding ways to make like this hard stuff fun takes a lot of work. Like finding ways to make things fun actually isn't fun, <laughs> which is like a funny thing. <laughs> it's actually like hard work. I'm here to wait and find this to be fun because that's the way we're gonna get people interested. That's the way we're gonna get the kids interested. So many people are so disinterested and have given up on electoral politics because they get it. It's all BS, you know? So it has to find a way to make it fun. It's so hard. It's hard work making it fun. Like you literally have to like treat it like you're making an album or treat it like you're creating a video game or writing a book when making some of these these things that are historically people dread making them fun. But that's all about what being an inventor, a creator is about, is revolutionizing a thing. So making taxes fun, the idea is like, okay, what if to do your taxes, it's a website that you got to do it on and it's a video game. You know what I'm saying? Something as simple as that. Or what if to do your taxes... And again, I'm just spitballing these off the top of my head right now. We do have some plans to that we're have working on to make it fun, but these are some things I'm just spitballing. You know, what if to do we your taxes? We don't expect
1: you to have every policy figured out right now on our little show. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. But but part of it is is like you know just just talking it out because these are things that people haven't talked much about before. To talk about oh taxes going up, taxes going down. They're not talking about making it fun, you know, figuring out ways to make it fun, things that already people do. So say, okay, once you submit your taxes, you get a free ticket to Disney World or something like that.
2: Let me steer you somewhere else to another subject that I wonder whether it can be made fun. You have talked a lot about declassifying government conspiracies and digging into that entire subject. What are some of the things that you think the government is withholding from people right now?
0: And how do you want to like, let the public know about those things? Well, well, since we're on the eve of Martin Luther King's birthday, well, well, Martin Luther King's birthday just passed, I'll say this. That's right. I don't know how familiar you all are with COINTELPRO.
3: Oh, uh, pretty familiar.
0: We're familiar. <laughs> yeah, so the counterintelligence program ran by the CIA and FBI on the leaders of the Black community and members of the Black Panthers and all of that stuff. I mean, that is a breeding ground for basis for many conspiracy theories. Oh my goodness. I have so many good conspiracy theories. Okay. One, the whole COINTELPRO, which isn't a conspiracy, but it's been somehow, it's not talked about enough. That like the government actively infiltrated agencies and groups that were trying to liberate Black people and use them against each other and basically like killed all the leaders there. So there's that i mean i definitely would go out and say like the government was involved in the killings of martin luther king malcolm x obviously Huey p newton mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like there that's a that's one that i would like stand on i mean i was reading recently i don't know if you guys have seen their letters from the fbi to martin luther king trying to get
3: him to kill himself
0: trying to get him to kill himself saying yeah. like yo like you're like, we know about all the orgies you've had with women. We have know about all the orgies you've had with men. You're not a real minister. You're not a real champion of the people. You're a fake. You're a fraud. Like, the black community doesn't believe in you. You should just kill yourself. And they were telling him to kill himself before this, a certain date. Like, he was about to do something on some date. Uh, it's escaping me right now. But yeah,
2: was- they were going to leak. Ta- they claimed that they was going to leak tapes. And, of course, the FBI was pretending it was like an outraged black person. They were talking about, oh, we don't believe in you no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so things like that definitely need more exposure because then it's like wait how can we trust these agencies it's it's like oh yeah that but that was in the 60s so you know but now we're good it's like wait no like you're doing the equivalent of that probably now because you haven't atoned for your sins of then so what makes you me think that you're safe now uh i think in new york there's a huge conspiracy against like the rappers in new york there's a government conspiracy because all of the big rappers in new york either go to jail or um you know little wayne when he was at the peak of his popularity he went to jail in New York for like a gun charge which I don't know all the details of that but it just seems really weird, you know. There's the stuff with Bobby Shmurda. As soon as he got big, Takashi Six Nine, all these people. It's like why even blow these people up just for that situation to happen. So, and it happens in New York so specifically. I feel like they're specifically focused on the entertainers. Like a lot of the, it's like almost not good to blow up in New York in certain ways because these things will happen. Another rapper, Pop Smoke, just had the same thing happen to him. Um, now granted, a lot of these people do dumb things, right? But you know, it's like specifically those rappers um again i also feel like i mentioned edward snowden correct a lot of the stuff that you know he talks about as far as just the government surveillance as far as them like just you know watching us and 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 documenting us and um all of these things, this is something I want to uncover. Like some of these stuff I don't yeah. know about, but I want to uncover. Oh, this is one of my favorite conspiracies that I love to talk about as well that I want to uncover and know more about is conspiracies in major media. You know, it's how how often is the government teaming up with like major motion picture studios and major um, recording studios to produce content to influence the masses, to do whatever they want. I know for a fact that they're doing it but I just don't know how. Like, the all the executives, for example, in, like, the rap industry aren't, like, young Black people from Chicago or New York or <laughs> yeah. Houston. Like, they're, mm-hmm. like, the complete opposite of that. And they're influencing what messages they spend $10 million on to promote. Right. And, you know, the FEC, there's literally, um, not the FEC, the FCC, there's literally a government agency that controls communications, you know, and that's just up front. So, you know, there have been stuff written about this, kind of how I was talking about COINTELPRO. There's been stuff written about, you know, CIA starting magazines back in the day and doing things like this to influence kind of like activism. A song like, we are living in a material world and I am a material girl is like okay is that a song that someone just made or is that like a CIA is that is that a
1: commercial (laughs) right (laughs) to be like oh
0: to, to, to yeah to like influence the people and be like you're a woman you need to shop 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 that is important consume you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'd like to see and and what ones they tried and that maybe failed or whatever, you know, like what are they trying to push? So,
1: yeah. Well, Paperboy, before we close out, I want to just quickly like get some rapid fire answers. We mostly wanted to talk about politics. But while you're here, we just got to ask who's like three of your biggest musical influences or even five if you can't do three.
0: I would say Soldier Boy.
3: Good on you. Soldier Boy is fucking amazing.
0: I'd say I think Kanye West is dope. I like Ty Tribbett as a gospel artist, is really great. Lil B is one of my favorites. I like myself. Heck yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I I honestly I really do influence myself a lot. You gotta be your number one fan. I yeah. And I study myself to like understand myself. I'm like, oh wow, that's what that's what you meant when you did that. So, yeah, those are some of my main influences. I'm trying to think of who else.
1: Are there any, like, directors or maybe directors of photography that majorly influence your videography because it's very unique?
0: I really like Robert Townsend. I watched a bunch of his stuff as a kid. He did, like, some Disney Channel original movies, well, one Disney Channel original movie, and he made some, like, superhero films. Robert Townsend is great. He did Meteor Man and uh, The Parenthood. I really want to work with Robert Townsend. So it just has really like just super dope ideas and is like my type of style of stuff. I also like Tyler Perry a lot. Like I used to hate Tyler Perry because I didn't get it. Or my view on what art should be was so narrow minded, but like Tyler Perry, the way he just is just making things, he's just creating and he's creating for his specific audience, which again isn't for everybody. And it's just like knowing that wow, it's okay for what I create to be for a specific audience. And then the more that I do that, the better content I can make for that. So Yeah. So yeah. I I like Black Cray too. Black Cray is a dope rapper. Who has really dope videos and visuals? I don't know who does all his videos, but yeah.
1: Word. And then one more quick one. Do you have like two or three top fashion influences? Because your fashion game is very on point.
0: You know what?
2: Fashion. You you know, go. he, He's gonna say himself. <laughs> you, you know, you you
0: already saw it coming, right? I'm like, <laughs> honestly, I've given away so much fashion and style, and I know it sounds like. You know, it kind of, it doesn't sound humble to say it, but at certain times when something is true, you just can't, it's worse for me not to say the truth. No, take the
1: credit. You said you create clothes and stuff. Like this is, this is a part of who you are.
0: I've given away so much fashion and style here in New York and then across the country so much. But you know, when you're not in fashion week, you don't sometimes get all the credit for that. And it's not about the credit. It's just like, yo, we actually take these risks. Like the people who work at these, you know, the, work with these designers and these major brands and stuff, you know, live around me and see me and know me. You know what I'm saying? And and it's not about them. Like the drip was there before that, but I know it's like just next level. I, I As far as for me, I know I'm my biggest influence, but to be honest, Flavor Flav is dope. Mm. I think Flavor Flav has really good style that slept on. And who else would I say? I would be like the 80s, like, funk era, like, parliament, funkadelic, George Clinton, type of stuff like that. Heck yeah. It's, like, super dope. So, yeah, that's that's dope. I would also say women in general, too. I have to give a big up to all women because I feel like women are very inspirational to me. So I can't take the credit. I actually take my credit back and say women. have been super inspired by, like, women and their style and their grace with style, you know, and how they've been able to push fashion forward.
1: Paperboy, this has been such a pleasure. This has been an incredible hour with you, just like talking about a lot of really interesting subjects. I'm sure that we could talk with you more and we would love to, but we got to wrap it somewhere for our listeners. So tell everybody out there, what do you need right now and how can they get involved in your campaign?
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much paperboyprints.com. So that's paperboy spelled P-A-P-E-R-B-O-Y Prince P-R-I-N-C-E.com. So paperboyprints.com. You can go there and there's a link to volunteer, also a link to donate. You can volunteer from anywhere. There's things that you can help and do to help us win. You can donate from anywhere. The money is awesome because that allows us to actually put our campaign forward so yeah, that'd be a great help. But most importantly is like just believing. Like if you believe in, and word of mouth, if you believe and you, and you tell people and you really believe that we can win and, you know, have that type of energy because I'm about like the people's power is so strong. When you want to do something that's never been done before, you got to do things that have never been done before. You know, when you want to reach heights that are higher than ever before, <laughs> you got to go crazy right now. We're about to go so hard because we have nothing to lose. We have everything to gain, and this is for the people. We're ready to take over and make a difference of change because we're so tired of seeing the same old problems and no solutions, no ideas, just people arguing back and forth. I got to meet my congressperson for the first time, and I watched three congresspeople speak, and then I got to speak after them. And they weren't happy about that because I laid into them about all they talked about was Donald Trump. And it's like, yo, but what about all the people out here that are suffering, that need something better? That What are ideas for when we get Donald Trump out of there? We got to be thinking about the future. We have to be doing multiple things at once. We have to be creative. So yeah, if you want to help, donate at paperboyprints.com, volunteer at paperboyprints.com. Um, you can follow me at paperboytheprints. Listen, we're about to change the world. And if you have a problem with what's going on right now, and you're not going to stand up for it, what's wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, just, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is like, the time. This is the time. It's our time. Right now, we, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. And it's like, there was a point before I decided to officially announce all I could think about was running for office. That's all I could think about. It just consumed my mind. And it was like a point where I couldn't even have a normal conversation with a person. Like, you know, cause I would just start talking about running for office and they're like, dude, I don't care about politics at <laughs> all. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. But I realized when I had that burning passion, it's like, oh, I have to do this. So I'm doing it. And now, you know, there's a lot of hard parts to it, but I'm like, man, we're gonna do it. Like, yo, you just gotta believe, like, you know? Oh my goodness. Like I'm sitting here talking about it and I'm getting excited talking about it. You know, usually doing an interview like this, I would like to be more like, fun like how we talk about making things fun i like to be more fun and jokey and happy and i am happy and i am jokey and i'm trust me i'm having a lot of fun and there's some of these things that i just have to be super intentional about my words and where i'm going so that i make the point across and kind of rambled about some of the other stuff you know conspiracies and stuff like that but still you know i want to have fun with it so yeah Listen, this
2: was a fun interview. And by the way, like you can come back on the show like as soon as the primary is over and you're running for Congress because it will be over by then. You can say whatever you want, and you can come and kick exactly, exactly, exactly. So yeah, exactly. This was excellent. Paperboy prints to the suburbs. Not safe for wonks. Collaboration. Always good times. Always good vibes. Brandon Buchanan here on behalf of both Kennedy Cooper and Leia Rose. Uh, it's been a wonderful episode and uh, yeah, everybody, you can come back and we'll chop it up again after a while. <laughs> paper. Yeah. Thank
0: you guys so much.
2: Thank Absolutely. you. Bye everybody. All right. Peace.